Good morning, Homestead Church. We're glad that you're with us today. It is Palm Sunday, so happy Palm Sunday to you. You may have gotten to the point like I have where the days are starting to blend together. There's no distinction between weekdays and weekends anymore. I'm pretty sure it's Sunday and I'm pretty sure it's April. Uh, we know it is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Just a couple of things before we jump into the message today. Um, we want you to know that if you're watching this and you don't have a church family that you're a part of, we want to adopt you into our church family. Um, so if you would like to be contacted, if you want to be a part of our family where we can check in on you every once in a while, that's what we're going to try to do as we get through this season of social isolation. Please let us know and we would love to uh, add you to the list of people we can just consider part of our family. Because I know that one of the ways, one of the ways that we're going to get through this difficult season is when we realize that we are in fact not alone, that we are a part of a bigger group of people. Maybe some of you are truly by yourself at home. We want you to know that you're a part of our family. Maybe you are at home with your family and they're all starting to drive you crazy or you're driving them crazy. Um, maybe right now you're watching this with your family. You can look at each of them and smile and assure them, no, you're of course not driving me crazy. Um, we want you to know that you can be a part of our family. We want to get through this together. And Homestead Families, we um, as a staff tried to contact everybody in the church this week. So if you did not get a phone call or a text from one of the staff members, we need you to let us know so that we can make sure we have your updated contact information. Again, we're in this together. We're going to get through this. We want to know if there's ways that we can help you, support you. If you have needs, please reach out. We as a church want to make sure that we get through this supporting one another. Awesome. We're going to look today in the book of Matthew chapter 21. It is Palm Sunday, so we're going to look at the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We're going to look at Matthew 21. Um, first of all, I want you to have a Bible that you can follow along with. If you need a Bible and you do not have a Bible, or you have, you know, Grandpa's old King James monster-sized pulpit Bible and you'd like something that's a little bit more modern that you can understand when you read, please let us know. We want to provide a Bible for you free of charge because we think this can be a season where there's some spiritual growth because we have all this extra time on our hands all the things that we said we'd do, if we had more time on our hands, we can start doing, like flossing our teeth and reading the Bible and praying. So if you need a Bible or floss, I guess, um, we will provide that for you. But I want you to go find a Bible right now. So if you need a minute to go find one, dust it off, bring it back. We want you to open it up to Matthew 21. And if you need a minute, we're going to provide a minute for you. Um, and as we do, we're going to show some of our big top kids who are reading this story of the triumphal entry, but they're doing it in Mad Lib style. So some of the words have been swapped out. So enjoy this as you go find your Bibles. The triumphal entry, Matthew 21. When Jesus and his disciples drew near to the fluffy city of Pizza Ranch, noisy city of Jerusalem, soft city of Target, Jesus sent two bikers on a mission. Jesus sent two carpenters on a mission. He said, go into the PetSmart in front of you. Go into the Walmart in front of you. He said, go to the water well in front of you. Immediately, you will find a scared donkey. You will find a soft donkey tied up to an alligator with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will jump them to you. 
The disciples went as Jesus had directed them. They brought the smelly donkey and colt to Jesus. They brought the sleepy donkey and kangaroo to Jesus, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others cut smooth branches from trees. And others cut slimy branches from trees and spread it on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were happily shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! That was awesome. We love that our kids are involved in our Sunday online services. Hopefully there's something for the whole family to enjoy as we, uh, as we do these online church services together. All right, Matthew chapter 21. So we're going to read this story together, but one other element we have to set the stage for this story is another episode of Big Top Kids Toy Theater. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Big Top Kids Toy Theater. One day, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, and Jesus said to them, Go into the village and find a donkey that's tied up and bring it back to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, the Lord needs it. And so Jesus left and the disciples went to the next village looking for a donkey. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. Oh, it's a donkey. They found a donkey in the village and untied it and brought the donkey back to Jesus. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. We found a donkey. Jesus got on the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. And as he entered the city, the multitudes of people came out and began to cheer and worship and wave palm branches. And they even threw their coats on the ground. Jesus, we love you! You're awesome! Well, Jesus rode all the way into the temple. And in the temple, he found the religious leaders were taking advantage of people not being honest and they were buying and selling instead of worshiping. And Jesus got very angry and overturned their tables. And the religious leaders were so upset. But also what happened is the needy people came out and Jesus began to heal all of them. Those who were lame, I can't walk. Wow, I can walk. The evil spirits, Jesus cast them out. And even those who were blind, Jesus healed them. Hey, I can see now. But because the religious leaders were so angry, they begin to plot an evil scheme on how they can trap Jesus. I love our Big Top Kids Toy Theater Department. <laughs> Maybe my kids might think differently. Alright, so this story of the triumphal entry, I just want to set the table a little bit. This is happening during the Passover. So the Passover is one of the yearly celebrations that the Jewish people 
celebrate every year. This is a big, important deal, Passover. This is a time where Jews from all over the surrounding region would all come to Jerusalem because they were going to share the Passover meal together and they were going to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Um, this was all to remember the Passover that took place as we read about in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites in the Old Testament were slaves in Egypt and God sent the plagues, the final plague was that all of the firstborn in Egypt would be killed. And the Israelites were told, if you will sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on your doorposts, then when the angel of death comes over, you will be spared. The angel of death passed over the Israelites during this terrible night that many years ago. So for the Israelites, this is a day of rejoicing where because of the blood of the lamb, they were passed over and God spared them, ultimately leading them to be released from Egypt to be released from slavery and to be free. So this was a huge deal. Every year people would come. I've read a few um, commentaries and a lot of Bible experts estimate, you know, at the least over 2 million people would be coming to Jerusalem, which is not a big city. Uh, and so the place is packed during Passover week. Okay, think state fair. Okay, packed. Um, also, what's going on is this is, a, this is kind of the peak of national pride because this is everyone's gathered together. They're celebrating what God did a thousand years before, releasing them from slavery, establishing them as a people, as a new nation, leading them to the promised land. So in addition to it being super crowded, it's also national pride where think not only State Fair, but 4th of July, okay? These are some of the emotions that are going on as the Israelites during this day that we're going to read the story are celebrating and feeling in Jerusalem on that day. Because as they celebrate and remember what God did when they were slaves in Egypt, now, present day in this story, they are under another evil empire, the Roman Empire. So they're not free people. They are a part of the Roman Empire. So every emotion... Every source of national identity and pride, all of these things are heightened, heightened because there's so many people packed into Jerusalem. So this is all kind of setting up the story that we're going to read. Also leading up to this is throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies about a Messiah who's going to come. The Old Testament speaks often about a Messiah or a deliverer that would come and bring freedom to Israel, just like he did in Egypt. One of these stories, for example, is in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is just one example of an Old Testament prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus came. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says this, talking about the coming Messiah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. So that's one of the prophecies that says there's going to come a time where a Messiah, a king, a deliverer is going to come and bring freedom to the people. The Old Testament is full of prophecies like that. So can you feel the emotion and the buildup leading to this moment of the triumphal entry? Every emotion is peaked and heightened. So I want to read this story. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, says this. 
As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then this quotes Zechariah 9 here in Matthew 21. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Again, packed city, emotional, national pride. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is quite a moment. This is a king moment. Now this is different for Jesus because up until this point, it seems that Jesus was happy to resist the crowds for the most part and certainly resist the idea or hype of him being a king or having this great power or influence and fame and recognition. But now, Jesus is making a very public declaration. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of all those prophecies. I am the king who will bring freedom to Israel. When Jesus told his disciples to go find a donkey and then said, if anyone asks you why you're doing that, you just tell them the Lord needs it and they'll give you the donkey. This is a very king thing to do. Okay, this would be something that someone of great importance would do or certainly a ruler or someone in authority would do. They could go commandeer somebody's donkey, apparently. We always used to see this in the old cop shows that we would watch in the 80s, someone running up and saying, I need to commandeer your vehicle. I wonder if that would ever still work. We should maybe try that or not. Kids, you could do this if you find a nearby farm. Just go try and commandeer someone's donkey. Go tell them, I need your donkey. It's very important and see what happens. It'd be fun. We got extra time on our hands. Ask your mom and dad before you do that, okay? But this, this was an idea of Jesus acting like a king. I need this. If they say, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs this and they will give it to you at once. Even the act of people waving branches and spreading their garments or their clothes out, not their clothes, but their cloaks or their coats out on the road in front of him was something they would do for a king as a way to signify we want to prepare the road for royalty as they're coming through. This moment could not be more dramatic with all the emotion leading up to it. And then the moment where Jesus rides in on a donkey, which is what the Old Testament prophesied, this was an emotional, dramatic moment. And certainly the Pharisees and the religious rulers who were always at odds with Jesus, they recognized this as well. And it was more, um, more ammo for them to see Jesus as a threat and someone that they should get rid of. There are a few things, though, that I want to highlight from this story. 
And first, I want us to look again at the prophecy in Zechariah that talked about this day. It says, See, your king comes righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Other translations say humble or full of humility, riding on a donkey. A humble king. A king that brings peace. If you're talking about a normal king riding into a city in a triumphal manner, they would not ride on a donkey. A king would ride in on a horse, a tall horse, a high horse. That's where we get the phrase from. Someone who is arrogant, we would say they are totally on their high horse. Someone who is exerting authority or power over you. This is what a king would do. It's a sign of power and stature. But the Old Testament prophets prophesied that our king, the king of kings, the Messiah would ride in in humility. He is a humble king. He rides in not on a high horse, but on a lowly donkey. Humble and a peaceful king. The next verse in Zechariah 9, verse 10, it says this. After it says, he's coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the, where, the war houses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is more prophecy about Jesus. He will be a humble king. He will be a king that brings peace, salvation. These are all the moments that Jesus is fulfilling as he rides into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. So right after this, this public declaration that he is the Messiah. Jesus rides into the temple. And we're going to read that in the next verses in Matthew 21. We're going to read Matthew 21, verse 12 through 15. It says this. So this is right after the triumphal entry. Again, emotions at a fever pitch. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. So much going on here. What a great moment. you got to remember now, the temple is the center of religious activity. So in addition to all the visitors and all the chaos and emotion happening throughout Jerusalem, it is all the more amplified in the temple. This is the center where people would come and offer sacrifices. But especially during Passover, the scene in the temple was chaotic and frantic. And of course, the religious rulers are going to be keeping an eye on everything, trying to exert control wherever they could. Of course, the Roman officers and rulers are also keeping a close eye because they want to squash out any sort of rebellion or uprising that the Jewish people start. Now, what's going on in the temple during this time is that one of the things required during Passover was that all the Jewish people would have to offer a sacrifice of a lamb to God in, as a way of remembering what he did when the lamb was sacrificed during the first Passover in Exodus and the blood of the lamb spared the people from the angel of death. 
as a way of remembering and celebrating now, all Jewish people had to offer a sacrifice in the temple. So imagine the chaos that is going on in the temple when Jesus arrives in the temple. Now, one of the ways that the people would be taken advantage of is this. They would need a lamb to, to sacrifice. And they wouldn't bring one with them on their journey to Jerusalem. So lambs were for sale. Animals were for sale outside the temple courts. And now inside the temple courts, they were selling, buying and selling animals inside the temple courts. And one of the ways that the religious rulers would take advantage of the predominantly poor Jewish people was to jack up the prices of these animals. Essentially saying, we know you need one of these because it's required by Old Testament law that you sacrifice one of these and you don't have one and we've got them all so we can charge you whatever we want. This was just one of the ways the people were being taken advantage of. This was all happening inside the temple. Now, I experienced something like this recently, a couple months ago with our elevator company that is fixing the elevator in our new building. The new building's coming along nicely. Um, we're a couple weeks away when the stairs are still on the way, but they're being built. Stairs are coming, they keep telling me. Um, but in addition to awesome stairs that we're going to have, we have an elevator. But when we first started working on the building, the elevator needed some repairs, so we call the elevator company. Again, there's one company that can fix this elevator. So they came out, fixed a couple of things, and sent us a bill for a lot of money. And I, I had a few questions about that, and they basically said, uh, what are you gonna do, not fix the elevator? I felt like, we, I, felt like I was in the temple courts. Um, they know we need an elevator, they're the only ones who can fix the elevator, and so they charged whatever they wanted, and did they. Um, so I decided to take on the religious zeal, and I commandeered a donkey, from a local farm and I rode it to the elevator company and I went up to the upper level where the conference room was and I walked in and I grabbed their conference table and I flipped it over and I said you're supposed to be an elevator company but you've turned it into a den of thieves and they asked me to leave and they made me take the stairs the reality of the situation in the temple is, and I hope I'm setting the table okay where you get the chaos that is happening when Jesus walks in. Jesus sees what's really going on in the temple and he flips over the tables. All the people buying and selling, all the people taking advantage of the poor people. He overturns the tables, says this house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a business where you are robbing people. A den of robbers. Well, that moment when Jesus does that really seals it for the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They had always seen Jesus as a threat, but this was a big moment. Like this was about as bad of a thing as Jesus could have done for those religious rulers because they were in charge of the temple, they were in charge of the religion, and this was a moment where they firmly had in their hearts that they needed to get rid of Jesus. But not worrying about what the religious leaders were saying or thinking, Jesus then turns to all those who were sick and heals them and ministers to them. So here's what jumps out to me and here's what I want to focus on in the few minutes we have left. I love that Jesus does this. Not just the healing the people who are sick. I love that he overturned the tables. I imagine him looking around at everything going on, the chaos of the temple in that moment. Looking around at everything that was happening, all the activity, 
all the things that the temple worship had become, business, money, status, okay, all these things that the temple worship had become, all the ways that people were exerting power or manipulation, all the rules and rituals, all the people being excluded, okay, Jesus is, in that moment, understanding Temple worship has become a whole lot of things that it was never intended to. And what he does when he flips over the tables and says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of robbers. What Jesus is doing is dramatically refocusing everybody on what this is all about. This is a house of prayer. And then he goes and he heals people. So it is a house of prayer and it is a house of healing. This is foundational to what the temple should be all about. This is what Jesus is doing in that moment. And I love that he does this. This is a sobering reminder for me as a pastor, as the pastor of Homestead Church, to constantly look at what are we making church about. Okay? And it's also a reminder to all of us because we can make church and our faith about so many things as those religious leaders had done. We can make it about so many things that are peripheral, that do not really matter. And it's an important reminder for us to get back to the heart of what church is, about what we should be all about. The church is not a business. It's not a social club. It's not a method of influence or status. We're not about real estate transactions, building remodels or elevator repair services. We're not about political influence or money or status or recognition. The church is to be a house of prayer and a house of healing and ministry. Now, we are currently in a season, coronavirus 2020, where everything in our world is kind of being shaken up a little bit. And the church world is included in this. And it's a good reminder for me, as the church world has been shaken up a little bit, that there are things that are at the core of it that really are coronavirus proof, right? They are immune, sorry for the lack of a better word, to this because we can always be a house of prayer. We can always be a house of healing, even if we can't meet in a building together. As the church world gets shaken up, what's truly important must stay central and must be core to what we do. We are a house of prayer and we're a house of healing. We can pray. We can pray. When all the peripheral things, all the things are shaken and taken away from us, we must continue to be a people of prayer. This is what Jesus is saying in the temple courts. This is supposed to be about prayer and about helping others. And you're making it into all sorts of things that it's not supposed to be. Here's my impression as we're a couple of weeks into social isolation, um, a lot of people just staying at home. Um, I think that we collectively are handling this okay, this shelter in place order that we've gotten from the governor and that people around the world are experiencing as well. Um, I think we're handling it okay um, if it's a two to three week plan, right? I think over the next couple of weeks, now I'm not trying to be uh, Mr. Downer here, um, this could linger on for longer than that, okay? Um, and I think that's when it's really gonna start getting a little dicey. <laughs> There's, I mean, I, I'm making light of it now, it's not a light situation. This could linger, this could get more difficult. 
it probably will get more difficult. The numbers could get worse, okay? But you can stay anchored through this whole season if you are a person of prayer, if you learn to anchor your life in prayer. So this season that we're in where there's a lot more time spent at home, grow in prayer. Spend some time praying. Sure, there's lots of stuff to do online, lots of shows to binge. We've got so many ways to watch TV shows, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Disney and old-fashioned television. Um, we got time spent with homeschooling, time spent with trying to work from home and do all these other things, time spent trying to find toilet paper. But couldn't we all, couldn't we all, if you are a follower of Jesus, say, this time that I have at home, I am going to learn how to be more of a person of prayer because that is what will anchor you. If you're feeling anxious and nervous, if you're uncertain, prayer is the thing that will anchor you through this season. So we could all, everybody who's hearing this, take a step or two in growing in prayer. And let's be honest, if your kids are driving you crazy, you can just tell them, sorry kids, dad's gotta go pray alone, by himself, for several hours. You can't bug him. Um, I want to encourage you to grow in your prayer. During this season, there's no reason you couldn't spend an increased amount of time in prayer. And certainly there is a need for us to spend increased time in prayer for our families, for our leaders, for our communities, for our economy, for our jobs, for our finances. Let's anchor our lives in prayer. And the byproduct of that is peace that comes around that because we know that we've cast all of our cares and our worries on the Lord and he will look out for us. This is why we're going to do this. So I want us to grow in prayer. I love that Jesus does this. He pushes aside all the peripheral garbage that we tend to turn church into and he focuses us, refocuses us on what is at the heart of the church. It's a house of prayer and it's a house of healing. And finally, I want to end with this thought. Why did the people respond so enthusiastically that, Jesus, that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem? This was a celebration. Why did they respond so enthusiastically? There were several, there were several different motivations. A lot of people saw Jesus as he's the one who's come as our king and he's going to defeat Rome. We're going to be free, just like God delivered us from Egypt. God's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire, and he's the one who's going to lead us there. So a lot of people were thinking that. A lot of people saw Jesus as a teacher who was kind. A lot of the rabbis would not have been kind, but Jesus was known as someone who was kind. A lot of people were cheering because Jesus was the one who was performing miracles. Crowds were, beginning to, crowds were following him because he would heal the sick. So all these different motivations why people were cheering for Jesus that day, they all had one thing in common, and that is this. Jesus brought hope. He brought hope. He was the arrival of hope. They were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They were not, they were not a free people. They were under the weight of a temple religious system that was being manipulated by insiders and wealthy men, and they were taking advantage of the other people. They were under the oppression of poverty and sickness. The people were worn down, and Jesus brought hope. 
Not religion, not ritual, not business or influence or status. He brought hope of freedom, of salvation, of deliverance, of protection, of provision. He brought hope of victory and peace and eternal life. This is what Jesus brings. Hope. Hope of better days ahead. Boy, do we need that message today? Hope that there's better days ahead. This is what the arrival of Jesus does. This is what the arrival of Jesus did that day, and this is what the arrival of Jesus does in your world, in your family, in your house today. He brings hope. Not just for the insiders, not just for the religious elite, but for everyone who comes to him. This is not hope based on following the rules or a sacrifice of an animal, but hope based on a humble king who came to lay down his life for you and for me as a sacrifice for our sins. So that by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, we could be saved. So today, with your family, thinking about this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, how does this affect your life today? I would love it if today or sometime this week you could talk about this as a family with your kids. How does the arrival of Jesus affect you today? In your situation, whatever it is, whatever is weighing you down today, and there's lots of things that can weigh us down. Whatever it is, imagine Jesus' triumphant arrival into your life, into your situation. Hosanna in the highest. The king that comes in victory and brings peace the king that is humble and kind, the king who is a miracle worker, who is everything you need, the king who comes not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for you. So every time this week when you are worried about something, if you're anxious about something, if you're angry about something, if you're uncertain about something, questioning something, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to bring the arrival of Jesus into that circumstance. As we wrap up today, it occurs to me that maybe you're watching this and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And this is something you just do by faith. And what it says is that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. So what we say is we need to confess that we need a Savior, confess that you're a sinner, so you can just pray on your own and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that you died and rose for me and I receive your mercy. And then you would be a new creation in Jesus Christ. If you've never made that decision, I encourage you to do that today and allow the triumphal arrival of Jesus into your life, bringing hope and bringing peace. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We celebrate, this week we celebrate all the things that happened the final week leading up to your crucifixion and resurrection. We celebrate that you arrived for us, that you were humble and kind, that you were healer, provider, that you laid down your life as a sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven. Help us to be mindful of that this week. We celebrate Hosanna and the highest, the God who came for us. Give us a great week, a blessed week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.